0: Well, good morning. good morning. We are in a series called Shift, and we're talking about these small adjustments that can make a big impact. My name is Darren. I'm one of your teaching pastors, and we're going to jump right in as we think about one shift that, that I believe, if we make, will cause more happiness in our year and in our lives than anything else and we're gonna get to it through Galatians chapter five. So if you have your Bible with you, we're gonna be in Galatians chapter five, right at the end of chapter five and then into chapter six. The the Bible says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now we're gonna unpack that in just a second, but I, I thought it's like the third week of January and I was just wondering how you were doing with those resolutions. Yeah, me too. Um, I was thinking about resolutions like most of the time it's something like to do. We give ourselves stuff to do, like I'm gonna exercise five times a week, I'm gonna you know, eat tree bark and tofu and <laughs> We're gonna gonna do something. But I was challenged at the end of the year to actually not just think about something to do, but something to be. And somebody said, what do you wanna be in 2018? And I'm like, I wanna be more joyful. I'd like to be happier. Now the question is, how do you get there? Well, the shift that I wanna talk about I think will get us there. And here's my thesis statement. The amount of joy that we experience in our lives is directly connected to the quality of our relationships. The amount of joy that you're going to experience this year is directly connected to your friends. Do you remember the first friend that you had? Uh, you know, maybe it was in kindergarten, first grade, maybe you were three years old, and I remember several of those, but, but adult friends. Do you remember the first like, kind of adult friends you had? Well, I had two. And I've got a picture, um, <clears throat> and it's from the 80s and awful, but this is my buddy uh, Rob uh, on this side, and then over here is uh, Joe, and we're in a dressing room in an a department uh, store. We have clothes on, I'm just gonna throw that out there. <clears throat> but these guys are my first friends. These, these are the men that I first shared my hopes and my dreams and my fears with. That's how you know you have a friend. You can share those things with them. And, and what I began to realize, and, and, and Joey is the one actually over here who led me to faith in Christ, and Rob is the one who actually discipled me and helped me grow in Christ. And these guys showed me really what Genesis 1 was talking about. When God says, after he creates seven times, he creates something, that says it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, seven goods. And then at the end of the chapter, he creates human beings made in his image, and he says it was very good. These guys showed me that it was very good to be a human being. Now, what's interesting is in chapter one, uh, God says all all this stuff is great, and then in chapter two, this odd statement comes. It's not good. It's not good that we're alone. The first thing in the history of the universe that is not good is a person apart from a relationship. And I remember reading the Bible. i <clears throat> thinking, God, it's just chapter two. You've already messed up. Like, it's, it's already not good. What's the deal? Well, what we begin to realize when we read the scripture is, um, it, it wasn't that, that, that Adam wasn't good. It was that Adam was incomplete. Because Adam was by himself. And that's what's not good. A person without a relationship. See, the universe Um, was created, everything in it. Mountains, moons, seas, and stars, all created to reflect who God is. And by himself, going back to the first man, Adam could not reflect the relational, multi-personal nature of God. It wasn't good. And this, by the way, is what makes Christianity unique and distinct among other, other world religions. In other world religions, you either have an impersonal God, who God who doesn't feel, he doesn't speak, he doesn't have a will. He's the Star Wars God, right? He's the force that exists all around us. Or you have a unipersonal God, a God who is, a God, you know, existed forever, and then one day, this God decided to create angels and humans. But it wasn't until he created that he had a relationship. In other words, in other religions, Relationship is not in the very fabric and being of God, but we have a God that is in community, like a triune God, three persons, uh, One what, three who's. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and this is crazy, blow your mind, I know it's early. This God, Father, Son, and Spirit, have been in relationship together forever, like forever, and this is what it means to be Christian, we hold to this truth about who God is. That God is in community together. And so God didn't create Adam, as my first small group leader told me when I asked the question, why did God create Adam? You know what they said? God was lonely, he needed a friend. That made total sense to me until I started reading the Bible. (laughs) And then I realized, wait a minute, if God has existed forever together, he didn't need a friend. God didn't create, God wasn't lonely, right? God didn't didn't create Adam because he was lonely. God created Adam because he was a trinity and needed an image. That's why God created human beings. And and by the way, this makes sense of the trinity. Have you ever tried to make sense of the trinity? Have you tried to explain that to your friends? How'd that go for you? (laughs) It's pretty hard, right? Jesus is God, yes. Why is he talking to God? Well, because, God, the fi- why is the Holy Spirit flying around like a dove? What, what is this Trinity? This is, but listen friends, this is where the Trinity starts making sense because it's relational, right? It's connected, it's, it's a community of divinity and when we are created as human beings and when we are together, we are a part of that which is why it says it's not good that you're alone so God's gonna solve the problem. I'm gonna make you a helper fit for you, Adam. Now this is about marriage. It's not less than marriage, but it's more than marriage. It's it's this idea that we need to be connected, that we can't know ourselves fully apart from another person. That that, that good friends are great mirrors to help us see uh, the wonders of our lives and the wounds in our lives. It's just how we're made. Now the problem with relationships is that you need people. That's the challenge. <laughs> Look to your left and right and say, you're one of those people. You're one of those, <laughs> it's part of the problem, right? They're a nightmare, right, relationships? So, so, now what I love, here's what I love. This text tells us why it's a nightmare. Why your family gathering at the holidays was so awkward. Why you, you struggle to, it, because there's three things, there's three barriers that keep us from real friendship and hinder our joy. Three things, three words actually. At the end of chapter five, verse 26, there's a word called conceited there, it says in most translations. And this word, uh, the idea is that you're looking in and you're feeling empty, let me explain that. The word conceited is from two Greek words. One, doxa, which means glory. And another one, empty, kino, kino doxa, empty of glory. We say, what does glory mean? We sing glory, what does that mean, glory? It means importance, that's what the word means. It means um, significance, it means weightiness. When we say God has glory, we're saying he is important, he is weighty, he has substance, he matters. We even have a little idiom we say when something is not important, we say it doesn't matter. Matter, right, that, that, that there's a weightiness. Now, the text says that we are empty of glory or we can operate out of being empty of glory. What does that mean? It means that we try to convince ourselves and everyone around us that we're better than we are, that we have it together more than we do, right? And so, so when we do, that's what conceit is. We think of conceited people as arrogant people. No, 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 no. It's, it's when you're imaging something that's not real. It's when you're putting yourself forth as something that is not true. That's what it means to be conceited. It's when you try to hide your ordinariness. Um, you remember the last time you felt ordinary? How about the first time? I remember, and it probably wasn't the first time, but this is... I remember it, my son's playing basketball now, he's about the same age, and I remember um, I was a really good basketball player. I led our team to the championship in fourth grade. We won won four to two. (laughs) And I made the game-winning shot. I scored, I always say I scored 50% of our team's points. And I thought I was such an awesome basketball player. And we get into fifth grade, and my friend Jason Chambers uh, ate his Wheaties, PEDs or something, but he was six feet tall in fifth grade and we got to the championship and they beat us by 20. And I'm like, well, maybe I'm not gonna play in the NBA. Maybe I am just ordinary. I just remember feeling after the game, just like I am nothing, right? So there's a truth to that, that we do feel hollow, we do feel disconnected, unimportant. But when we don't acknowledge that and we try to pretend that we're not that, that's what hinders relationships. We literally feel empty and it disconnects us from people, and then it leads to another barrier, which is when we start provoking. We provoke, meaning to look down and to feel superior. Now, we don't do this overtly, usually. We do it, and it's very subtle. It's it's, it's, um, it's in who we ignore. I want you to think about who you ignore the most. And I don't know you, but I know who you ignore the most the person that wants your attention the most. That's the person you're tempted to ignore the most, at least, this is why moms have so much guilt, right? Because their kids are like, feed me, wipe me, you know, clothe me, 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 right? You want to ignore, and it's just so easy as a parent to do that, but we do that with our people, our friends even, that we call our friends, or the people around us, we tend to ignore them, we feel a little superior. Why do they have so, so, so many needs? Why can't they get their act together like me, right? They got, them, you know, they got themselves into that mess. Let them get themselves out. Yeah, like that's a provoking attitude. That's what keeps us from spiritual friendship. You will not be friends with someone if you think you're superior to them. It doesn't work. Now on the other side, you can have an envying attitude which is when you look up, in a sense, and feel inferior. Right when you feel when when you look at people and they seem more secure you know more confident that you're like oh my gosh I'm not it, and and what's weird is about envy it's kind of hard to define one way uh, one author says that coveting which is a big Bible sin warned about Ten Commandments coveting is when you want somebody's stuff envy is when you want somebody's life when you look and you say I wish my marriage was like that and I wish I wish my parents had that kind of money, and I, and I wish I lived in that house, and I wish I had that job, and I wish, see, when you're envying, you're looking up, it's an inferiority complex, and let me tell you something, you're not gonna be friends with someone if you want their life, and it just doesn't work. You say, well, I don't know if I have envy. Well, it's hard to discern envy. Nobody likes to talk about it. If we announced we're gonna do a series on envy, guess what would happen? No one would come because no one thinks they have this sin. But I'll give you a really quick way to find your envy. Follow your daydreams. I don't remember my, my dreams very much at night, but I remember all of my daydreams, and so do you. If you follow your daydreams, you'll find out what you envy. And if you begin to kind of mind that and do some introspection with the Holy Spirit's assistance, you will see a lot of times this is keeping you from relationship. Conceit, provoking, and envy. Those are barriers to relationships. But I love the Bible because it gets on the solution side. And it says, here's the invitation to friendship. Here's what is possible with friendship. How do you do friendship? How does God invite us into community, and I think the us is very important there, because Galatians 6.1 says, it starts out with this word, What's what's it say, church? Brothers. Brothers. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Not one time in this Bible, you will not read it, as an individual person, meaning it was not written to individual people, it was always written to what's called the covenant community. Covenant just means we belong to God and we belong to each other. Old Testament, it was God's nation um, called Israel. New Testament, it's the church. God is always writing to us, not just to me. Listen, I'm glad you have your personal quiet time. I'm glad you get your worship on in your car by yourself. Awesome, keep doing it. You need to understand you're, we're a part of a family. We do this together. In fact, don't do this alone. <laughs> don't try to do this, 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 obey this alone. Don't try to like, oh, I'm gonna figure this out. Uh, um, You ever watch like these shows? Back in the day, uh, there was this show called Jackass. Anybody that old? Remember that show? All those guys are like in wheelchairs now because of all the stunts. But on that show and others, when they're doing kinda crazy stuff, uh, it doesn't matter what the show, uh, to cover themselves legally, there's this awkward font that comes on the screen. And it says something like this. Um, the, the, the actors and, and, and those doing stunts are paid professionals. Blah, 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 legalese, legalese. And then it says, finish it with me, do not attempt this at, right, do not attempt this by yourself. This thing called the Christian life. This is what, brothers, brothers. If anyone is caught, it says, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should blog about them. Should do a Facebook prayer request (laughs) with specific things about their life. No, you should what? What does it say? Restore. The word restore is a beautiful word. It literally means, in in the New Testament, when when the nets would break, when the guys would fish, like the disciples, and they would mend the nets. Or in ancient Greece, when there was a bone that was broken and they would set the bone, that's this word restore. And this is God's invitation to us as we pursue friendship together. That we literally can become, as a community, a community of restorers. Sinner restorers. This is what spiritual people do. Verse one says, you who are spiritual. That just means those who have the spirit. Uh, Not super saints. Here's the exchange you get in Christianity. I know a lot lot of us are new. What is this Christianity thing? It's an exchange. I exchanged my sin, my selfishness, for Jesus's righteousness and his spirit. Not a bad deal, pretty good deal. So if, you have, if you've done that, you had the spirit, you're able to do what this text is, is commanding us to do. You can restore. Now, sometimes we think restore is simply like being sweet and nice and kind, and it is, but make no mistake about it, restoration equals confrontation. Restoration equals confrontation. Throughout scripture, we see this. One of my favorite places is Proverbs chapter 27. Here's what it says. Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. A wounding friend is better than a kissing enemy. Enemies Cut to hurt, friends cut to heal. Enemies stab you in the back. And as Oscar Wilde says, friends stab you in the front. Enemies are butchers, friends are surgeons. Both cut, but with different purposes. This is what friendship is. This is what it means to be in community. Now, if you're just like wanting to watch a football game, which a lot of us are gonna do right today, if you, just, if you just want to hang out, if you don't want much character change, stay with your acquaintances. Keep hanging with your fans. But when you're caught in a sin, as Galatians says, when you're trapped, when there's crisis, when there's trauma, when the wheels fall off, when cancer is spoken by the doctor, like you better have some people around you that are, that are, that are friends. When, when you've got some serious blind spots in your character and you don't see it, you better hope you have some people that are willing to hurt your feelings and risk the relationship because they love you and want the best for you. That's what it means to be a friend. See, there's a difference, and this is really hard, because we live in an age where it's very popular to kind of put it all out there. If you don't believe me, Facebook. Can you believe the things that people say on Facebook? We're like, wow, I don't know if I would have told that to uh, thousands of people that don't, I mean, but they just did. Right, you know what that is? That's called being transparent. It's very easy to be transparent. Transparent is, here's my stuff. Right. Vulnerable is, here's my stuff, now I invite you to help me with my stuff. Lots of folks are transparent, very few are vulnerable. Friends enable us to be vulnerable. Friends enable us to, to say the worst things about ourselves that are true, and then invite people into the mess. Because we know what a friend is, they believe the best about us so they can wade through the worst in us. That's the opportunity for friendship. That's what it means to be a community of sinner restorers. And see, I believe the church ought to be a place where the worst sins can be confessed. And I believe the church ought to be a place where the worst of sinners can be welcomed. Why, because they know the sinners, if you're not aware of sinners, just look to your left and right. The sinners, they know they're gonna be heard, right? They're gonna be loved, they're gonna be corrected, and they're gonna be mended. And so there is this community that develops, like we're all on equal ground, we're all helping restore each other. Now the key to this, though, is the second idea. Uh-oh, I don't know what I did. <laughs> one, two, three, four. There we go, that one? All right, don't do that again, Darren. Just to, to become a community of self-correctors. See, the key to restoring others is to correct ourselves. That's what Galatians 6.1b says. Keep watch on yourself. The word means to spy out, to make sure, to look. Keep watch on yourself. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. After the most famous verse in the world right now, judge not lest you be judged, Jesus said that, Matthew 7, he explains it. And he says in, in Matthew 7.5, you hypocrites. Take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, correct yourself. Make sure your sin, your your struggle is paramount in your own eyes as you then go to people as a friend and help restore them. Make sure you're looking to yourself so that you're not tempted. What does it mean to be tempted? So that you're not self-righteous. So that you're not... Self-protective, so that when you speak those words, those hard words, those laser-focused words, those words that are gonna cut, you've done everything you can to drain the self-righteousness out of your life so that your friend doesn't get defensive, so they receive your words. Sometimes we can say the right things in the wrong way, and it keeps people from being healed. So look to yourself, critique yourself, or as Paul says in Galatians 6, 5, um, bear your own load. Bear your own load, what does that mean? Well, the word, the word load is, is basically something you can carry. Like a backpack, I used to ride my bike when I was in college, I just took my daughter on a college visit, brought me back. I can't believe I just had to take my daughter on a college visit, but I was, I was, on a, I was thinking about riding my bike about you know, a couple miles to, to campus. And I was a theology major, so I had these big, thick theology books. And, and one day, on my bike, with my backpack, my backpack's like, I'm out. Like, this is too much. All my books spill out all over the road. Cars are running over, getting flat tires in these huge theology books. had grass stains on them for the rest of the year. Why, because the contents of my backpack would not fit. I couldn't carry my own load, right? This is what it means to be a friend. Meaning you are, you are taking care of your own stuff. You're not letting your stuff spill over when you have a conversation with someone. You're not, when you go to your friend and, you, and you're attempting to correct them, to help them, you're not, it's, there's no anger in it, there's no angst in it. You're there for them. It's not about you, it's about them. You're bearing your own load. Now what's crazy is then when we do that, we become a community then that can help bear each other's burdens. We're we're a community of burden bearers. Now, now, I love this because this is what everyone wants. But but if you're paying attention to it, it's a little confusing. Verse five says, bear bear your own load, and then verse uh, two says, bear one another's burdens. Well, which is it? Bible? Both. Because the word for burden, you ever seen one of those strongman contests on like ESPN 12 or whatever channel's on? You know where they're taking the big stones, the guys with no necks, you know what I'm talking about? Am I crazy, have you seen this? That's the word for burden. Like only those kinda of big guys can carry those rocks, right? Something a one person can't carry. You carry your own backpack, but there are stones in your life you cannot carry by yourself. There are circumstances, there are health diagnoses. There are, there are marital issues, there, there, are, there are financial problems. You cannot do it on your own. You need someone to bear that burden. That's what it means to be a friend. You're able to bear the burden. Martin Luther, one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation said, a Christian must have broad shoulders and husky bones to carry the burdens of their brothers and sisters. This is the opportunity we have as a community. A lot of times we think friendship, I just, it's somebody I can go to the movies with, somebody that I can have coffee with. Yes, it is that, it's extremely personal, but it's also communal, because we're modeling what it looks like to be the church, more Even more so, we're modeling what it looks like to reflect God. Every time we're in a a relationship where we're being vulnerable. Think about the Trinity. God was, sounds crazy, God was vulnerable. Like, sent his son to the earth. Father, giving this mission to his son. Son, trusting the father with a mission. Son dying on the cross, spirit filling his breath up and rising, all this stuff, other affirming, self-giving, vulnerability, that's what God did. That's what relationships are. When we do that, people look at it and go, that looks like God. There must be a God around here somewhere. Look at how these people love each other. Look at how they're committed to each other. You know what it's like when you see two friends. There's nothing like it but we've gotta bear our own load, right? What stuff spilling out of our backpack? Is it conceit, is it provoking, is it envying? What is keeping us from connecting with people? See, I'm just gonna say this. We don't, we don't need more critics in the, in the church. We're good there, they all have blogs, we're good. We got it. Church is a mess. Leaders aren't perfect, we understand. We don't need more consumers. We don't need more people looking at the church as a vendor of religious goods and services to consume. Now if you're not yet a Christian, consume all you want. That's why we're here. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've given up your right to be a consumer. Because it's not about you, it's about us. So we can do this together. And it's very, like, I'm sounding kind of negative, but it's actually very positive because here's the good news. Like, you don't have to do your marriage alone. You don't have to raise your kids alone. You don't have to struggle financially alone. You don't have to go through this health scare. You don't have to do it alone. It's not good to be alone. You don't have to do that. Now, I've, I've seen this in my life the last 27 years now. So that's Joe, and that's Rob, and Joe's a pastor, and I spoke at Joe's church, and Rob came a couple months ago. And these men, who were my first adult friends, I, I spoke to this weekend. Still, we talk all the time. And we have walked each other through marriage issues, um, adult children issues, um, health scares. Um, We have had major disagreements and haven't spoken for a while, but we reconcile. I mean, just all the stuff with these guys. 27 year run. And I'm just thinking, you can do that. What if you did that? Right? It's, I, it's totally, pop- I, I was in the, um, this cafe the other day and these, these older guys were sitting there and we all knew they were there because they were yelling because they couldn't hear each other. <laughs> and I went over and I said, I think I said, how long have you guys been coming here? And he said, well, we've only been coming here for whatever. But we've been having breakfast for 50 years, I think was what they said. And I just thought, how cool would that be? You're like in wheelchairs arguing, right? (laughs) In the nursing home. Because you've been, I mean, it's not good that we're alone. It's not good that we're alone. And we don't have to be. Especially you men. I can't tell you the number of men, once they get out of college, once they get past their first job, they start having kids, and they just don't know how to be friends anymore. And so they pour their life into their work, and they pour their life into their kids, and they pour, but nobody's pouring into them. It's not good, guys. You're not gonna get on your deathbed and go, man, if I could just have one more day in the office. One more round of golf. No, you're gonna say, I wish I'd have had deeper friendships. I wish I'd have loved my family more. So, let me give you a very practical way for some of you. There's this thing in this church, I would, I think the music's awesome. Some of you are like, it's too loud, I get it, but it's awesome, even though it's loud. The preaching's pretty mediocre. When I'm here, anyway, but I know it's. I mean, there's so many great. I want to tell you the best stuff in this church is small groups. It just is. We can, we can. It just is, and you have a chance. Some of you have never been in one, and you can, you can, you can join a small group right now. We're gonna have something on the screen. Just text connect to 320 320. You say, well, it's gonna be awkward. Of course it is. There's people there. Starting with you. Oh, it's forced. Yeah, so is almost anything that's worthwhile. Like getting in shape, right? Like having a great marriage. It's all, it's all, it's all intentional, it's a better way to say it. So some of you for the first time are gonna join a group and it's gonna change your year and it's gonna change your life and some of you are gonna do a 20 year run with some people and it's gonna start in that group. So take advantage of that. See, it's, it's because friends, listen, life is too short to be lonely. Too short to be lonely. There's no reason for it. And so, let's at least be open, right? As, as, as we think about, it. let's at least say, okay God, I'm scared, some of you are very introverted. As my wife, um, is, is an introvert, I understand. And so it's a scary thing to do that. Let's trust God and let's commit to this. All right, God, I don't know what I'm gonna do, I don't know how this looks, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be open. Think about Jesus. Jesus comes with the greatest mission in the world and what does he do? He gathers friends, they're called disciples and they were a bunch of knuckleheads like us but he changed the world through them. And he says something very important in John 15. He says, I'm not calling you servants anymore. What does he say, church? I'm calling you what? Friends. So let's join him and say, I'm not gonna do this mission of my life anymore alone. I want some friends. Let's pray. We all want friends, Lord. We've all been betrayed and hurt and struggled because We're all sinners in need of restoration. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us hope that it's possible to have deep, abiding, connected relationships where we can be vulnerable and honest, where people can believe the best about us and wade through the worst. That's what our hearts long for, that's how you made us. And so help us, Lord, to take a step in that direction. In Jesus' name. Amen.